This is the Hollywood Casino Press Box. Now back to Frank Cusimano on 590 The Fan, 105.7 HD2 FM, and inside STL.com. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. It's not warm when she's away. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. Welcome back. Hollywood Casino Press Box on the all-new Five Night of the Fan. Frank Cusimano with you till 12 o'clock. Derek Gould in about uh, three or four minutes. I do want to welcome a new sponsor. They've been with us before, and I'm so glad they're back. The Edge in Belleville. They now sponsor the listener line, 855-282-8255. Keith and Mary are great people over there. And um, what they're doing is absolutely amazing. They are bringing go-karts to Belleville. I mean, it's, it's go-karts indoors. They have sunk millions of dollars. It's just one of the coolest places in the whole metro area. They have a, let's just call it a family entertainment facility. That's what they are. Um, let's go through these things, too. They have laser tag, which I've been for birthday parties, five movie theaters, an arcade, and their sports bar featuring 20 draft beers, amazing food, and the largest video wall in St. Louis outside of Ballpark Village. Uh, that's not all. The Edge is offering. I mean, they have so many other things. They're, they're doubling the size. And this thing is going to be done, I think, uh, just before Christmas. This indoor go-kart track is going to be amazing. New virtual reality Attractions, bumper cars, and an upscale bowling alley. Bowling alley, movie theaters, go-karts, laser tags. How does it get any better than that? All under one roof. That's the Edge in Belleville. It is a great place to spend a night watching a game or having fun. The best thing is you can bring your kids, say, okay, here's a little bit of money, go away, and we're going to watch the game. (laughs) So nothing better than the Edge in Belleville. All right. Um Somebody reminding me that if we're going to talk about Tatum, then we should talk about Clayton Keller. And we should. He's with Arizona, and he is off to an unbelievable start. Six goals and four assists. He's part of that magnificent draft class a couple of years ago. All those kids are headed for stardom. That is uh, that is amazing. Uh, guys, quick thought on the World Series before we get Derek on. What'd you, uh, what'd uh, you think the game Astros had? are in a lot of trouble. Because if they can't hit a curveball, they're not going to really make the series very competitive. They struggled against Kershaw's breaking stuff, and they're going to face a lot more of it tonight with Rich Hill on the mound. And I, I my takeaway is the fact that Chris Taylor just keeps doing things Boy. for that team. It's yeah, This guy's come out of nowhere, and he's like, just all postseason, it seems like he's he's part of these moments that are kind of jump-starting things for the Dodgers. I, I agree with Brian. I thought going into the series it would be a long series, but I kind of lean toward the Astros. I think they're pretty evenly matched, but... Kershaw was was Kershaw last night, and I think you can kind of put to bed the the Kershaw can't pitch in the postseason kind of talk after what he's been able to do uh, through through a few starts in in this postseason. But if Verlander is Verlander, then all of That's a sudden true. one they, one I mean, going back to Houston, they want one game. And they and you know the Astros you, you got a guy like McCullers who's going to start another game later in that series who pitched four innings and a save to finish off the ALCS. So they've got pitching too. I just think. I think the Dodgers just might kind of have that mojo this time around. Yeah, and a, and a wise move to to yank Kershaw after seven. I know some people wanted him to go, but you know, with his the seventh inning has always been his uh, Waterloo. Or, yes, but 
I just I think it was the right move at the right time. He showed he could get through that seventh inning, and once he did, I you, you trust your bullpen, and they've got they've got good arms in the eighth and ninth. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you there too. All right, if you'd like to uh, be a part of the program, you can do so. We have the Edge listener line at eight five five two eight two eighty two fifty five, and we have the First Tee text line at eight five five two eight two eighty two fifty five. Martin Kilcoin is going to join us at about eleven o'clock today. Uh, let's see, um, a couple of quick texts here. Frank, you included romance in your best 20 minutes. Uh, out of those 20 minutes dedicated to romance, how do you spend the other 19 minutes and 30 <sighs> seconds? The prodigal. How, how long after that came out of your mouth did you realize, yep, that's going to be a, te- that's going to be a text topic. Well, I knew the prodigal would come at me. And so of course, big Al. Yeah, he always does. Yes. All right. Let's, uh, let's welcome on the program. The one and only Derek Gould. Derek, good to be with you. How are you? I'm good, Frank Cusimano, and yourself. Very good. Uh, so much to discuss today. Um, I know you've written about it in the Post-Dispatch. In fact, I'm looking at the story right now. The secret weapon returns as Okindo and McGee join Matheny staff. When you heard the news, your first reaction was what? Makes a lot of sense. How did they make this happen? What did they, um, when I first heard the final news or the when I first heard it was possible? Uh, when you first heard it was possible. Um uh, yeah, I was like, well, it makes a lot of sense. What are they going to offer him, and how are they going to get him back? Um, you know, it was last week. I think I wrote about it in Saturday's paper. So Friday was when I first had confirmation that at least a conversation had taken place um, with Bell's departure. They were going to try to find a way for Akendo to return. And I just wondered how and when and, you know, what was the uh, what was the role he'd eventually have, whether that would be bench coach or whether he would – arrive as sort of that quality control coach or would he arrive with no title at all and just be Jose Kendo in the dugout I, we didn't know and uh, for him to go back home to third base and for we know how important that was to him he spoke often especially with my colleague Rick Hummel about just what it meant to him to be able to be back on the field um, or not to be able to be on the field I guess would be the better way we knew it meant a lot to him to go back to third base coach and this is how they made it happen so that was my initial thought was like, oh, well, it makes a lot of sense. Now this is something they've wanted to do in the past. Can they make it work? And how did they make it work for him? And so did they, um, did Moselock and Matheny go to Florida, uh, look him in the eye, and did they have to court him and recruit him and offer him, you know, a better package than he got before? I was not there, so I don't know if they um, flew down, took him to what uh, – leftovers or perhaps somewhere swankier key grill or something um, <laughs> and tried to romance him into a return. Um, I do know that Moselock had multiple conversations with Akendo about how could this work? What would make this better? What would make his presence, not just make him comfortable returning uh, or make it possible for him to return, but how could they make this beneficial to everybody? Um, and Mike Massini got involved um, late in the season, not um, right about the time I guess the season was over. There, there was conversation between him and Jose about what they wanted to do and whether or not the return would be possible. Um, and then when Bell accepted the job in San Francisco, it cleared the way for for the for the movement and then, of course, uh, the more in-person conversation to sort out. So, yeah, there was recruiting. There was discussion of responsibilities. There was descriptions of what they want this new sort of staff to look like and how they want it to 
work together and also discussions on who would be on it. Um, you know, Willie McGee joining it, um, some conversation of, of at the time, you know, what direction the pitching coach, you know, search was going, um, the bullpen coach search was going, all those things were part of it, yes. I know you don't know what's in Jose Okindo's heart or Mike Matheny's heart about each other, but if you had to just, you know, psychoanalyze the relationship from afar, dime store psychology, Boy, would... what, do you think, what do you think their relationship is like? Gut feel. I mean, I, I'm not even sure that it's fair for me to say, Frank. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to psychoanalyze your marriage. I wouldn't ask for Mike Matheny to psychoanalyze my relationship. Strictly with a physical colleague. relationship with Monique and I, if you're interested. But go ahead. Yeah, no, it's okay because that's my point. Is I would ask. I would much rather ask that question than sit back and surmise. I mean, like I said, if you were to go on the radio and start psychoanalyzing my relationship with some of my colleagues, how would you do? Wouldn't you just rather ask? Yes. Well, have you asked before, though? Yeah. Have you asked before? I I have. I mean, we've talked about it, um, you know, with Mike and with Jose, just about, not just about, you know, their personal relationship, because, A, neither guy is really going to go in depth into that, but about a professional relationship and, you know, I mean, and this goes back to, I mean, you know, uh, Jose was one of the six guys interviewed for the manager job. Um, he was one of the three guys interviewed for the manager job who then were on the staff, Matheny, Maloney, and Okendo. He was the only guy from Tony LaRusso's staff interviewed for to replace Tony LaRusso, and then he stayed on as his job. Um you know, Jose has not hid the fact that he has devoted a lot of time and a lot of hope to, to being, you know, with the Cardinals. And that's where his legacy is. And, yes, he always hoped to be a manager. And he got interviews at other teams um, and thought maybe that his best shot would be at the team that knows him best. And then they moved past him. And they moved to somebody who had zero managing experience, Oh, and by the way, they were asking Jose to help, you know, cover for that zero. I mean, huh. You know, help speed up the learning curve for a guy we hired ahead of you. Um, you know, we all we all know that, and so that was part of why you know Mike and how Mike approached Jose. I mean, he needed his help. He needed his input. He needed his experience. Um, and Akendo with his devotion to the organization and commitment to players. Let's not miss that. I mean, it's not just the Jersey. It's a Kendall's fondness and relationship for the players. You know, he did a lot of that. Um, now you go to his leave of absence and I mean, we cannot ignore that it was health related, right? I mean, yeah. He, oh, you know, no I know people want to mix in all this stuff about, well, you know, clearly this was his chance to go blah, 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 and on and on. And they want to find, some kind of conspiracy X-File that's there. He was not physically able to take the field. The Cardinals could not put him on the field. He needed multiple knee surgeries, and he was wanting to go out to third base to coach. He he couldn't move around. I mean, what kind of liability is that if he gets hit or if he loses his knee and quality of life is gone? I mean, those were serious concerns that people want to gloss over but those were realities, and those were, that's where Mike kind of had to go to him and say, what do you want to do? We were all there at spring training where they were talking to Jose about trying to create a job where he would still be with the team, still be in the dugout, 
but not, you know, kind of not able to go out on the field, not able to go out to third base. And that's when he said, he said this. I think we uh, just lost uh, Mr. Gould. But, you know, we've mentioned this before, too, because I remember being at that spring training a couple of years ago and seeing Jose Oquendo's in his early 50s, you know, walk around that place like he was like 80 years old. I mean, he did have multiple knee surgeries. And you're right. He, Derek's right. He could not have coached third base for the St. Louis Cardinals. But then you could say, wait a minute, that's one full year. Then he was better for next year, and he still didn't want to come back. So, yeah, look, I, I don't think there's there's any doubt that a lot of it was physical and just not being physically able to to be a third base coach in the big leagues at the time. And there's probably a little bit, you know, of, of – Maybe not agreeing with everything, but what coaches agree with their head coach on everything anyway. All right, let's let's revisit with Derek. Derek, let's get to another topic because we're running out of time. I want to get to a bunch of things. How are they recruiting Jim Hickey? Do, uh, first of all, a, a two-part question. Do you think he's their number one candidate? And do the Cardinals have more to sell to Hickey than the Chicago Cubs? So that, that, those are good questions. Um, I, I know that he um, – Number one is tough. They don't. I'm not sure they kind of operate in that way. But my preferred candidate is that a way to kind of describe yeah. it? Because they want to keep a lot of options open. They don't want to. It's a little bit like uh, like they go after a free agent, right, or a trade. You know, they they have a preferred outcome, um, but they don't want to focus solely on that in case it doesn't happen. Then they want to be ready to pivot and go in a new direction. Like even this past weekend, sent them in different directions after they had shaved their list down um, just because there was new volatility in the market, new, new um, candidates that's available um, and also new teams looking. So um, they're, they, uh, you know, they're in the process of that uh, MLB.com reported that Mo was set to meet with Hickey in person in Florida um, this week. I only know that they might, from what I've been able to confirm that they have been in talks with him, you know, about what situation would be best for him. Um, so whether that happens in person or over the phone or via email, I'm not sure, but it's already down the tracks as far as trying to figure out what he wants. Now, what do they have to sell him? Well, um, you know, I, I think, uh, I think it can be overstated when you talk about, you know, hello. Yes. You're on. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. You'll get a kick out of this. My wife won't stop calling, Frank, during this interview. That is the problem. Gosh. You must know the experience. She clearly does not want me to talk to Frank Cusimano. <laughs> well, we were talking about our marriages, so maybe she's upset about that. So. Yeah, no doubt. Um, but uh, that, that's what keeps sending me off. So sorry. Um, but what they have to sell to him um, is, it, is I think it can be overstated about the use of the pitching staff or the talent of the pitching staff i think you know it was it was put well yesterday um, when somebody asked me is that a tiebreaker i think that's maybe a fair way to look at it certainly they want to certainly a pitching coach wants to know what a team has where a team is headed what uh what is going to be available um you know what what kind of assets he has to shape and what kind of consistency is ahead but most of all pitching coaches want to know a few things one are they going to contend um are they going to go to a team that is going to win um, because there is the aspect of competitive value, but also of financial value. You know, playoff shares matter. And then when you look at um, also 
um, control and what a team wants as far or what a pitching coach wants as far as influence, autonomy. And that may be where the Cardinals have an edge over um, anybody. You know, the Cubs have familiarity. They have Madden. They have a relationship with Hickey. But what the Cardinals want to have with this pitching coach is I think we've all kind of agreed that coordinator is a good description for it. Um, that's sort of what the Cardinals are describing. And that gives a level of autonomy that, uh, you know, is very, it, it could be very appealing for a guy who's been around or for a pitching coach who wants to show he can do it and then move on to a manager role. Mm. I'm wondering, could their next pitching coach influence the starter they seek in the offseason? If they bring in Hickey, uh, does he try to, do the Cardinals try to sign Alex Cobb? Or maybe the David Price relationship was strong down there. Or if they bring in Basio, could Jake Arrieta be the target? Well, I think those are two names that will be on the Cardinals list anyway. Um, and certain familiarity with the pitching coach may help them sell that opportunity to the uh, to the free agent. So um, I, I think if, like, if Basio's the guy, right, then he would be involved in the recruiting. Um, but if he's not the guy, that doesn't mean the Cardinals will go, well, there goes Arietta. Let's not even try to call him. They'll still try to talk to him. And same thing with Cobb. Um, you know, Cobb has, has a, there's a lot to like about how he would fit. Um, when you kind of run down the traits or run down the, the, the price points, um, all the things that the Cardinals kind of calculate when, when making a list and checking it twice, as far as the free agents that they'll go after. And so a Hickey would be involved in the recruiting of that just because of past relationships. The Cardinals are not going to overlook past relationships as, as a, as a way to sweeten an offer or try to lobby a guy or recruit a guy, or as you would say, take him out to dinner, look him in the eye over candlelight and try to romance the guy. Um, but I, it doesn't exclude the fact that they'd still go and have conversations with these two pitchers. Do you think the pitching coach in 2018 is going to have more autonomy than the one in 2017? Yes. What, what, what is an answer beyond yes? <laughs> All right, now before what, what, what would be what would be yes, cube. Oh, I wonder what that conversation is like with John Mozeliak to Mike Matheny. Hey, Mike, we think you're a good manager and you're going to still be the manager, but we're going to bring in a pitching coach and he is going to be in charge of pitching moves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you think that's how it's how it worked, huh? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's a very long conversation. Do you? No. All I mean, right. What, what do you? What do you? You know. I mean, you and I both have bosses who come to us and say, hey, look, if you want the role you have, you have to do this as well. And we go, yeah, I kind of like the role we have. We better do that as well. Yeah. That's well, actually, that actually hits home. That <laughs> really. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. listening to my you news director both. right now as you're telling me that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, before we let you go, this is going to be the most memorable part of this interview. We're not going to hold you to this answer, but I'm sure when people say, hey, when they say, did you hear what Gould said? This is what they're going to remember is oh, I'm going to ask you right now. Is it a question about Thor? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm going to ask you right now if you had to guess in terms of a hitter, a starter and a closer. Now, look, if you nail one of these three, it's really great because it's October and nothing's been going on. But if you had to guess of what hitter, what starter, and what closer, give me three names. Um, I think the hitter likely come from a trade. And at this point, if you'll allow me some flexibility, the, the two names that 
I would bet are most likely for the Cardinals to try to pull off a trade for would be Donaldson. That's the obvious one, the one that if they can make that move, then it gives them an answer for a year, and then they reinvest or redo this, um, you know, a year okay. from now. And then the other is Yelich. Um, I just, I, there, you know, just in lo- in conversations with people around the Cardinals and being there at spring training, this is not some, you know, I know people are want to go, well, you just pull this out. This is not some. This is this is an interest that the Cardinals have had, a player that the Cardinals have had interest in, in the same way that they did for Matt Holiday. And it wasn't just immediate. It was building over time. And his contract is appealing, so all that. Um, I'm going to use my name. I'm going to say for the closer that I would not be surprised if they don't get any of the top free agents, that the free agents choose to go elsewhere or go beyond the price point the Cardinals want to offer. And come spring training, they're just going to throw arms at it. I bet you they go out and end up with some of the middle relief um, late inning guys like a Nicasio, a Nicasio 2, a Nicasio 3, <laughs> and they try to figure out, or they pull off something to trade for a guy. Okay. Um, and then the starter? Is, I don't know. Um, starter. That's a good one. I, I wish I had an answer. Um, I think the two guys you mentioned, you know, I don't really have a good feel yet for. You know, I know what Ariada is going to want. I'm not sure how many people are going to line up to give him that. That softens, and that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I don't think you can uh, rule out like a Kashner. Um, you know, that level of of pitcher, what what direction he goes. I think you're definitely looking in that that Cobb range um, too. I think, you know, you you it's it's hard to isolate on one guy, Frank. I mean, you can ask me this. Um, maybe a month from now, and I'll have a better feel for it because I want to see how, you know, kind of after the GM meetings, how things are lining up for the starters. And, and in a way for the relievers, there's so many available that, you know, you see the benefit of striking first for the guy you want. But I'm not, I'm not sure that, you know, that the difference between the top tier and then alternatives that still satisfy what you want to pull off is that big. So if it's Donaldson, um, obviously some of those outfielders will be in it. So right. in the trade, so it would be the, the right field position would be who's ever left and probably still by committee with right. Pham and, uh, and Fowler and left and center. And by the way, do you believe that Dexter Fowler is going to be the starting center fielder next year or the starting left fielder next year? At what point in time? Day one. Of the season yep. or of spring training? Uh, d- day one of spring training. Uh, yes, I think he will get a chance to to show during spring training, out of courtesy for him being a veteran and the money invested in him, that he is healthy and ready to run and can be their center fielder. Right. Um, I would imagine that that is the way that conversation will go. You want to be the center fielder, you have six weeks to show that you can be that guy. Um, if not, then the Cardinals know they have an alternative. Good stuff. Derek, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. All right. Thanks, Frank. All right, Derek Gould, good instant offense here. All right, uh, before we go to break, a couple of things uh, I want to tell you about McBride & Son. want to be in a new home before the holidays. McBride & Son Homes has nearly 100 inventory homes that are ready for a quick move-in during the very big fall sale. Buy a new McBride & Son home in October, and you'll receive two to $10,000 in cash for use at closing. And with nearly 40 communities across Metro St. Louis, there are homes for every price point in every part of town, 
so there's no reason to wait at all. Save thousands on inventory homes, plus get cash for use at closing during the very big fall sale. This October only, visit McBrideHomes.com for details. We'll take a short time out, some text when we come back. 